see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. Well, again, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Under Review, a Rangers podcast. Jeff Filippi, along with Stat Boy Steven and Jack Filippi. As usual, we have a lot to talk about. Among other topics, we'll hit on Igor's back, that's for sure. He was the third star of the week this week in the NHL. The whole Matt Rempe experience, a lot to get into there, obviously. What was LaViolette up to in the third period in the Columbus game with some line switches? Maybe those are some early clues to what's going to happen at the deadline. Speaking of the deadline, as we record this on the 26th, we're just 11 days away. So we're at the short straws, that's for sure. Alexi Lafreniere, how good actually has his season been? We're going to dig into that. We're also going to talk about this period coming up is the last break for the Rangers in the regular season, they only have three games between now and the day after the trade deadline, March the 9th. We're going to talk about what's turning into a five-team battle to win the President's Trophy and how important is that to the Rangers. We're going to talk about Ranger prospects and get into the Rangers' uh, ability or inability at five-on-five, five, most specifically Mika. So uh, welcome, gentlemen, and let's start with... No matter what else we talk about, and again, we always look at this things at this on this podcast through the prism of can the Rangers win a Stanley Cup? Igor's back, and I think that's the best news for uh, for Ranger fans. Yeah, uh, having Igor back and having him play the way he has done in the past is great for the Rangers. Um, they they had a ten game winning streak uh, in which they of course started with Jonathan Quick. That that streak started with him playing a, playing a couple of games lights out. Um, but having Chesterkin back uh, and and playing the way he has for the last four or five games, that's going to go a long way if he can keep this up. Very happy to see him back, and yeah, that All Star break definitely is something he needed this year. Yeah, he looks he looks yeah. like the, uh, the 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 Igor of old. His his saves above expected have climbed. It was horrible in January, and now it's uh, tremendous in, uh, in in February. And he looks he de- definitely looks like the the Igor of old, and the Rangers need that as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. There's there there might be a, a little issue still with his high glove side because so, some of the pucks, especially in the Columbus game, uh, sorry, not the Columbus game, um, the um, I think it was the Devils. Um, the, uh, he he struggled a little bit with the high glove side, but overall he's improved tremendously. And and if he can keep this upward trajectory going, um, I'm very confident going into the playoffs. And as we record this on Monday the 26th, the Rangers come off having just had a 10 game win streak, uh, which ended in Columbus. And we're going to get into the win streak and why maybe it ended yesterday. In in, in retrospect, that was a logical time for that that winning streak to end. But Igor almost assuredly will be back in the net on Wednesday when the Rangers face Columbus at the Garden. And then it will be interesting how they handle the weekend before their, their break, where it's in Toronto and then home for Florida, two really good teams before they have a break until the day after the trade deadline. You uh, you, you think they're going to th- throw a uh, quick one of those games, but I'm not 100% sure because I think the most important thing for the team now has tilted to getting Igor as ready as he can for the playoffs. Yeah, uh, if we if we still had uh, Alexander Georgiev as our backup, uh, that would have been the easy choice to play in Toronto, of course. 
but uh yeah i think i think uh quick's definitely getting one of those games and and yeah a couple more games left until that break you mentioned before the before the deadline um yeah no real concerns here jack and to uh and to get into that i really do think we have to acknowledge that besides team defense which has definitely coincided with igor playing better there really hasn't changed uh, there really hasn't been that much of a change at all throughout the rest of the team the defense 5 and 5 has gotten better they're uh they're preventing high danger chances off the rush has gotten better they're up to 13th now for the for february it might have changed after a bad game in columbus yesterday but still much better but the power play is still bad <laughs> it has still been middling at best they're still they're 17th in the league since uh or is 22nd in the league Stephen? I uh, was uh, they're they're 21st in the league since Christmas with a 17.1 uh, power play percentage. So their power play hasn't get back, gotten better. Their 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 5 on 5 scoring still isn't really that good. It's just been Igor and the defense. And that's something that yes, it's great that they're playing better, but the reason really is it's because of Igor, the, the the offense hasn't figured it out, and they've had they have, in fairness, had a couple of really uh, good games where you you saw, as you're kind of saying, Jack, their defensive structure. The game against Dallas is one that seems to to, to come to mind. They did a great job defensively against the Devils in a game they had so many, or maybe I should say their penalty killing was so good because they had so many. Um, so much of that game they had to play shorthanded because of a, a match penalty and a double minor, but. They still won ten in a row, and and Igor, I think, to we all agree, was it was a, a huge part of that, and and it's great to have him back. So so, all right, here we go, gentlemen. Matt Rempe, the topic in some ways, as we've discussed among ourselves, the topic of the NHL. It is amazing to think he's only played five NHL games. It's amazing to think that as we record this, he made his NHL NHL debut nine days ago, which seems like impossible. And let's just throw it out there. I've been worried about the way this was heading. Um, my feeling has been that he's needed to stay on the ice to, to see what he can do. Um, the more he was fighting, and obviously I don't count Siegenthaler, but first it was Matt, Matt Martin, and then obviously Delorier, who's a, who's a tough guy. And Martin, did it, I mean... Uh, uh, Rempe did a great job in that fight, but then he went into Matthew Olivier, and now you can see Matt Rempe, despite being six eight and a half, is all offense, and he doesn't know how to fight, and he doesn't have the man strength, and I'm worried about him, and I'm worried about going forward, guys wanting to knock down this little sensation. What happens on Wednesday? Does he is he now in a position where he has to challenge Olivier because he lost the first fight? Does he let it slide? Um, what about Saturday night? Hockey night in Canada, the big stage. You don't think Ryan Reeves wants to take down this guy on national television? So this is one of those NHL stories that ha was headed in the right direction and so easily could go off the rails. And the first step in that was yesterday when, boy, he didn't look in good shape after that fight. And I'm surprised he came back. But I'm just worried about how this is going to play out over the next few weeks. Well, yeah. I just, I've been rather unimpressed, honestly. I think this is a, a conversation for, you know, more of the, I don't want to say the casual hockey fan, 
but the hockey fan that likes violence as opposed to the hockey fan that likes hockey. Um, I, I think I think it's definitely good for hockey to have this excitement from the fighting, but I think it's pretty standard stuff. This is stuff that would happen all the time. Go back into the 80s and 90s and even before then. It was got there was enforcers. There was guys that fought a, a ton of times throughout the season. Guys that had way more penalty minutes than time on ice. It's it's not something that it just because there's been such a spate uh, a gap between when this was more common and now that everybody's talking about it. But young rookies coming into the league, fighting to keep to 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 prove themselves and and show that they belong up here. That's something that's been a part of hockey as long as hockey has existed. I'm just not that. I'm not that impressed by this. It's just like this is hockey, guys. It went away for a few years, but this isn't outside. This isn't something we've never seen before. Yeah, uh, the reason it went away for for a few years is is pretty clear, though, right? Um, the NHL has faced several lawsuits over the last 10, 15 years from players who retired and 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 sometimes even passed away um, uh, with with CTE symptoms, and that's the reason why the NHL has cracked down on it. Now, this this guy comes in, twenty one years old, six eight and a half. Uh, 225 pounds and yeah you know he, he gets challenged during warm-ups by meb martin and by uh delorier and he basically has two options he can either accept the challenge or he says no and what happens then do does the player go after him you know try to uh you know entice him into a fight during during the play i'm i'm kind of torn on this because if he's going to fight regardless I would rather have him go through it in the first couple of minutes of the game and get it out of the way. Because Med Rempe, if you take the fighting away, he's offensively on the fourth line. He's pretty effective. He's on the four check together with Adam Edstrom. You know, they are two guys who can make things happen on the fourth line, even in their limited ice time. So if he's going to play four, five, six minutes a game, and if he's going to fight regardless of the situation, you might as well get it over with in the first couple of minutes. But I do agree that there is a risk that this might go too far. And I honestly don't remember the last time a Rangers prospect got this much coverage from the media from like all over, like, not just social media, but also on TV, on radio, uh, even Boomer Sison is talking about Menorempe. When was the last time Boomer Sison talked about a 21-year-old four-liner? He's a big, he's a big, likable, yeah. goofy kid. Um, it started as a spectacle. Again, if if his if his debut wasn't in the stadium series on national TV in front of 80,000 people in a football stadium, where one second into his NHL career, he's throwing them down with a tough guy over the last 10 years in Matt Martin. And it's and it started. And then the Rangers had the comeback. And then they beat Dallas. And then the Bastion hit happens. And then Delore Now, that fight, we don't know how much Delore really challenged him versus them almost agreeing. And what's a little upsetting, and again, it's only one, one man's side of the story, in the postgame last night, Olivier said he did not challenge Rempe in the in the warm-up, that he congratulated him on his fight to Delorier. They talked generally about fighting, and it was Rempe who asked for it in the first shift. So Rempe, I think, needs to be talked to. Jack, I disagree. This is not the way it was years ago. Guys who didn't know what they were doing didn't fight every game to get killed like this. It's not, not that he's, that's, he's been killed until... Paul, yeah, okay, yeah. are you going to fix that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, but, 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 but let, me, let me rephrase it. 
he took punches. He took punches in the Delorier fight, though he won. And he took five to seven. I think the one thing we found out is Matt Rempe could take a punch because he, he got hit solidly five to seven times by Olivier, who clearly knows what he's doing. Rempe does not know what he's doing. And I think the Rangers need to tell him, stop. Do not feel you have to fight every game. And I'm going to give you something that wouldn't make me fall off my chair. I don't think this is going to happen. I'm going to underline that, but we'll find out maybe as early as tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits on Wednesday. I think they need to take the air out of this balloon. Five to seven minutes of not playing on Wednesday to take the air out of the balloon is not going to is not going to retard Matt Rempe's growth. And Alex Belzeal could play five okay. minutes on Wednesday. That's just not happening. Um, it's just not. He's been one of the most impactful fourth liners the Rangers have had in years. He just scored a game winner the other night. He's been effective in his five minutes every single time he's played. That's just not happening. Just because he, uh, I Absolutely. do agree. And as a U, yes, he has. And as a UFC fan, Edstrom has. Uh, Matt Rempe on the forecheck has been effective. His defensive game is probably not as good as Edstrom. That's where I was. Not many go. people's, not many people's defensive games as they come up in their fifth game is 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 perfected. And to get into by the way, he, uh, saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about or doesn't know what he's doing when it goes to fighting, it's just the same way where Loth in his first year looked lost five on five. Because why? It's his first time in the NHL. It's his first time against NHL defensemen. It's his first time against NHL forwards. Matt Rempe's 6'8". There isn't many humans on the planet that are 6'8". Yeah, so he when he's laid out in the Western fighting guys, he's laid out in the Western League. The guy is an all-offense. You heard him with Emily Kaplan. When you go... Game. That was fun. We were throwing bombs. He thinks this is fun. Of course it's fun. He thinks it's fun. Just like how Mika Zibanejad, oh, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm just like how Panarin thinks scoring goals is fun. Just like how every offensive guy thinks that's fun. He's more of a physical guy. He takes pleasure in fighting. He enjoys it. And by the way, he's going to get better. His defense is going to get better. His, 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 his recognition of what other guys are trying to do while fighting. How come when a young offensive prospect or defensive prospect comes up and they have a few couple rough games, you're like, oh, he's just working his way into the NHL. But Rempe, who's never had an NHL fight against an NHL fighter, has one bad fight after beating two guys up and you go, oh. Jack, it's not just the one stop. bad fight. It's three fights, four one bad fight. Stigand baller, but he's taken hits. Forget about whether he wins the fight or not. He took you're hits. You're never going to go more. You're never going to go through a fight and not take any hits. He's going to take some shots. And by the way, he didn't go down. He's fine. Yes, as a UFC fan, I, when you get robbled, you most likely have a concussion. So right now, he most likely has a mild concussion. But he was good enough to get through concussion protocol. And we know darn well that they are stingy in that in that uh, concussion protocol with letting guys back on. So if they, they let him back on the ice, right, it Stevens, really must not have been that bad. Settle Steven, because I it, think this It really must have not been that bad. If he See, came Steven, back, it must have not been that bad. I know. Steven settled this because I think he's got to learn that he cannot continue his career fighting every game or every other game. We don't want we don't want Wade Belak or or Probert, God forbid. And that's that's the road. It's all fun now at 21, but when he's 51, it won't be that fun. That much fun, Stephen. Yeah, and for me, the the issue here is, of course, he shouldn't be fighting every game. He should learn how to say no. Uh, but what what annoys me the most about this is that the guy has a goal and an assist in his first five games, as a sixth round pick, 
playing on the fourth line, and no one's talking about that. No one's talking about the contributions this kid makes on the ice. Everyone's talking about, oh, he's fighting. And, you know, I'm guilty of it, too, because he left a mark on uh, on Delorier's forehead shaped like the state of New York, which is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> great coincidence. But if you look at how he's playing, like if you take away the fights, if you look at how he's playing in the five, six minutes a game, he's making more of an impact on the game than Tyler Pitlick or Nick Benino did in 10 minutes a game. It, I don't want him to fight every game. And, and he, he should learn how to say no. Um, the thing I'll say about concussion protocol in the NHL is that I'm not convinced that they're really doing a good job. Um, I, I, I watch rugby like religiously almost. The concussion protocol in rugby is much more serious than it is in the NHL. I, I've seen players get rattled and stumble on their way back to the bench and there's no concussion protocol. Like not not just once or twice, but regularly, the NHL's concussion protocol is not something I would uh, I would vouch for personally. Uh, that said, you know he he did go into the locker room. He did come back out, and he had it. He had a, had a, a pretty good game in the offensive zone. And Rempe and Edstrom together on that fourth line on the four check, they're making things happen. And and I I just want to watch a couple of games of Rempe and Edstrom getting seven or eight minutes, maybe even nine, where where Rempe is not sitting in the box for five minutes or like against the Devils getting a game misconduct. Because right now the kid has more penalty minutes than than, than minutes on the ice. And I looked it up the other day. There, there have only been 11 players in NHL history to finish a season with more penalty minutes than minutes on the ice with at least 100 penalty minutes. It, it, it doesn't happen that often. Rempe is is getting into the league partly because he's tough to play against and and he doesn't mind dropping the gloves but that shouldn't be all he's doing and to to refer to your point Jack that it's been this has been happening for decades there's a big difference in my opinion between uh, a tough guy uh going after a player because he injured your 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 star winger and a guy fighting because they agree to it during warmups. There is a big difference for me. And these these fights with Rempe, there's there's nothing that leads to it other than two players saying, "You want to go? Yeah, let's do it." Right. That's that that's not the same as as going after a guy to not retaliate, but to get back at him for for a hard hit on your star player. That I would understand. Right. But right he- now, it's every every time first shift he's on the ice. It's, he it, can't fight. He cannot. If he plays tomorrow, he can't fight. He can't. I I don't care. Olivier won that fight. Maybe there'll be another time or another year, but it's not Wednesday. And because I don't think Olivier is going to challenge him again. I think it's now sort of in Rempe's court. Does he want to try to get even? I think he, he the team has to tell him you are not fighting to what we've been saying. The bigger issue is, can he help this team win a Stanley Cup? And we haven't seen enough on the ice to even begin to reach a conclusion on that. I do think once the puck crosses the red line, he's been impactful. I think he's been a little lost in his defensive zone. I think the puck gets in skates. That's where his height works to his disadvantage. He's he's fumbled some clearing attempts, and you can't do that in the playoffs. So I we think don't... there are about I think there are about five NHLers, especially coming out coming into the league as 
fourth liners. Nobody's looking at Matt Rampey as a third liner. He's a fourth liner that comes up and is perfectly sound defensively as a 21-year-old in five games in the NHL. So that, I don't that's know. Point. That's been, not the point. That's not the point. The point the, is the point is the point is that the, Cup now. Game, the point is for game one of the playoffs. Is he going to be good enough? Right. Uh, yeah. There are very few fourth liners they're going to find for cheap that are going to be more impactful than he's been. Not just fighting, as we we're saying. He has a goal and an assist in his first six games in the NHL. That's more than Picklick all year. That's more than that's more goals than Barkley Goodrow has had all year. Uh, and by the way, he also blows guys up and gets the team going. He is more than proven he is worth it for the playoffs. And if he were to not play for the playoffs, it would be because they went out and got a third-line center, and that moved, that shifted everything down. But he has more than proved he's enough. And to, to go back to Steven saying why this is why fighting has cycled its way out of the NHL, it's not. Yes, there were uh, there were lawsuits because of CTE and. Uh, players getting uh, shortening their lifespan because of all the brain con- brain injuries. Yes, of course, that's part of it. But the real reason was because a lot of guys who fought primarily weren't fast enough to continue to play once the game got more skillful and more speed. That's the overall reason. It all, worked, was together. It guy, all together. It was all together. It was all, all one and the same. It really is. Okay. So, so, exactly. And what you, we can't take away from Rempe is that the guy can fly and not just fly for a guy who's 6'8". The guy's actually fast. He's okay. actually a good skater. Well, stay on the ice. So, the so, Jack, Jack. So, I'm let not, me real quick, yeah, let yeah. real quick finish. So, he has proven he's not just a fighter. He's a guy who's good who also likes to fight. There's a huge difference between those two. He's not, Ryan, he's not a worse version of Ryan Reeves that can just throw haymakers. No, no, no. He can play and also likes to fight. And that is so valuable. There are so few guys in the NHL that can still do that and be an effective fourth liner. There should be – the only conversation that needs to happen is, hey, hey, uh, or uh, whoever has this conversation, whether it's the medical staff or Laviolette, hey, Rempe, probably don't fight on Wednesday. If you want to fight Reeves on March 2nd, go ahead. But, you know, just yeah, give I'm yourself – I won't days. be able to watch that. My eyes so, will be closed. Yeah, so – I agree with you, Jack. He is a really good skater and he's good on the four check and he's making things happen. But no one's talking about that because he gets into a fight every game. Uh, not every game, but like he got he, the only game where, where he didn't get five penalty minutes was against Dallas. He had a fight against the Islanders. Uh, he had a game misconduct against the Devils and then a fight against the Flyers and the Blue Jackets. And I, I just want him to go five or ten games where where we where we look at him and as fans like like as a group of fans say that's what I want to see from him because the guy scored a goal and he has an assist he has he has a goal and an assist in his first five games he hasn't even played twenty five minutes total and no one's talking about it and I I get that you know people think fighting is exciting but Matt Rempe is too effective a player to be sitting to be sitting in a penalty box for five minutes. You know, if, all if, the time. If, if, all if, the time is the key. All yeah, the time. Yeah. If if this was Tanner Glass or Daryl Poe or Brandon Machinter or Chris Newbury or so many other guys that never added anything to, to the uh, – if they were on the ice. Like Reeves is another one. You know, Reeves, he had like maybe one or two plays that are memorable where the puck was actually involved as a ranger. 
those players, I don't care if they're sitting in the, in the penalty box for five minutes. But Rempe and Edstrom as well, they need to be on the ice to be effective. And you know what? When Edstrom played in the Swedish Hockey League, because he's played in the Swedish Hockey League for what, four years before he came over, he was very aggressive as a player. He was kind of like a loose cannon. He would fly around and, and hit players up high. And in the SHL, they come down hard on players like that. He got suspensions for like four games, five games, because that, that's how they cracked down on it. And he learned from it. You know, he he learned how to pick his battles. He learned how to how to choose when he when he commits to the hit. And that's something that Rempe should learn too. And and specifically when we're talking about the Nathan Bastion situation against against the Devils. Rempe needs to pick his battles, especially when it comes to, to hits, not just fights, but also hits. And and Edstrom is a guy who's already gone through that transition. Rempe will as well. He's two years I, older. He's two years older. He's, he's 23. Two, he's, There's a big difference. He's two years yeah. older, and, and he's played four years of pro hockey, and this is, I think, Rempe's second season of pro Listen, hockey. He's so that's, way that's, more polished than Rempe. He's yeah. way more polished. And that's why I'm still concerned about Rempe helping the Rangers in the playoffs. But you know what, guys? The ult- And this is a good transition. The ultimate arbiter of all this is going to be what the Rangers do in the next 11 days. Because if the Rangers don't trade for a fourth-line banger, the Yakov Trenin or Trenin or somebody like that, then maybe it is going to be rampant. But I want to get, get into a little bit about were there any clues what LaViolette was doing, what did last night in the third period in a game where, listen, as we said, the Rangers won 10 in a row. As you look at it now after that game, it wasn't so much the back-to-back as an incredible eight days of emotional games, different locations, uh, divisional rivals, emotion, comebacks, tight games. And I think it all caught, caught up to them. And I just found it interesting that at that time would sort of, though he would never admit this, the pressure off. LaViolette says, you know what? I'm going to put Panarin up on the first line, but that's not all. I'm going to put Kako on the second line with Lafreniere and Trocek. And I'm going to put VC on the third line with Brzezinski and and um, Cooley. And to me, that was a little bit like, okay, are they looking to create a third line that is also a tough line to play against? Are they going to look to get that third line center like a Scott Lawton, who would be perfect, though I don't know if they get him, where you throw Lawton, Cooley, and and VC, you now have a grinding third and a fourth line. And then maybe it allows you to take Brzezinski and put him on the fourth line. Because as I keep saying with Brzezinski, it's almost like he's the 3C or the 13th forward, as good as he's been. So the names that we keep hearing are Frank Vitrano and Alex Wenberg. Those are the two that at least Larry Brooks, the columnist for the Post, has confirmed that the Rangers have shown interest in. But how do we think this is going to play out? Are they going to get that fourth line grinder? Is it going to be the three C and the and the one RW that they're going to concentrate on? Because th- we're going to know in just eleven days how this is going to play out, and it and it affects Matt Rempe directly. Yeah, I think uh, what Drury is looking at now, and this is just speculation, of course, but like with with the big guys already being off the market in Lindholm and uh, Monahan and. Um, there was another one, or maybe just those two. Anyway, with the big guys off the market, um, there isn't really a player that is worth giving up a first-round pick for, unless that player comes with term, 
uh, or with, with serious salary retention. Uh, ideally, you want to address both. You, know, you want to address your, your first line right wing and you want to address the, the third line center role. I don't think the Rangers have the capital to to pull that off in terms of of trades because if you if you trade away a roster player, it kind of defeats the purpose of of adding adding someone. It, it depends. And, yes. And, yeah. It, Trading a Zach Jones doesn't yeah. doesn't alter the construction of the team. Of course, but yeah, Zach Jones is a is a healthy scratch like ninety nine percent of the season. Uh, but I w- I was more talking like trading. I'm not saying they're gonna trade him, but let's say trade Jimmy Vesey for an upgrade, that still leaves you with the same number of players. Um, and for me, the big concern when it comes to trading is is the draft picks because we all saw what happened a decade ago, right? From 2013 to 2016, they went four consecutive drafts without a first round pick, and I think two of those drafts they also didn't have a second round pick. Well, let me ask you this, Stephen. Let me ask you on that on that point. Let me ask you. They have all their first round picks, which is exactly what the the Lundquist led teams in the in the 13, 14 year did not. They all went away, as you said. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to trade just this year's pick in the attempt to really go for it? Because because the Rangers should be thinking, why not us now? I mean, they're they're we're gonna get into the standings and how well they've been playing. Would you be willing to give that up this year's so- first round? For me, the concern is uh, that they have already given up their second round pick in 2025 and 2026 when they dumped Patrick Nemeth in Arizona. So if you're looking at first and second round picks for the next three years out of those six picks, they've already lost two of them. I, I'm okay with them giving up a first round pick if the player coming back has term left. So either years left on the contract or is an RFA this upcoming summer. I don't want to give up a, a guaranteed first round pick for a guy that's going to walk in the offseason. That that's my that's my problem. And seemingly that is what Drury has already done because they put we know there was they put in uh, bids for Lindholm and their bid wasn't taken. They they didn't make the trade with the Rangers. So it's seemingly the Rangers already made have already done that. They said, okay, here's our offer, and it probably didn't include a first round pick, and that's exactly why they didn't take it. So I think I think there's I think the chances of them trading away a first round pick are really low. Uh, especially because they're just as you said, there isn't a piece worth a first round pick right now. Unless they were to go really uh, you know, off like go, go crazy and get someone like uh, a Hartman or a Boone Jenner who have term, as you said. So, and I and again, I think they're going for a um, a middle a bottom six center as as opposed. I don't think I just don't know. I don't think Petrano's the answer. And to quickly go back to what we said in the beginning about Laviette's line changes, as we've seen all season, I absolutely guarantee the lines will be back to normal on Wednesday. There'll be no changes, no matter how bad uh, Mika Kreider and VC played five on five. There will be no changes. It was just a let's see what we can do now to mix it up. I I I don't believe those lines have any actual uh, a say on how they're feeling about the team or team post or pre deadline. Um, I'm just I'm not I'm not convinced by that. Yeah, and and um, look uh, on Saturday, I think it was Saturday, the the nationally televised game. Um, Emily Kaplan mentioned on the broadcast that. Multiple teams have asked for either Offman or Perot. 
And every time a team does, Drury ends the conversation right away. So that's that's good to know for Ranger fans that those two are not on the table at the deadline. Um, but when you when you look at the players that are still available, yeah, it's 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 either going to be a guy that's that's leaving in the summer, and then the most I would give up pick wise is a second round pick. Um, and if if it's a guy with term like like you mentioned Ryan Hartman or you know maybe Yanni Gord, that that I can get behind to giving up a first round pick for. Um, but if you look at if you look at how uh, the Rangers used their first round pick last summer, you know they're getting Gabriel Perot 23rd overall. Um, they acquired a first round pick for Nils Lundqvist, which they traded the, away then for Tarasenko. That that I'm okay with because you still end up with a first round pick. I just don't want to be that team again where you trade away first round picks year after year after year because it's just too big of a risk. And we've seen how it affects the team. You know, you catapult yourself into a rebuild by 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 giving up first round picks for for maybes and hopefuls. Yeah, that that's what really bugged me the most with the with those Lundqvist years. It's just the 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 management of assets was just not there. It was just bad. It was poor. And, and if you look at the returns they got for their first round draft picks wasn't worth it. I, I think Drury has done a fantastic job so far in his tenure with the Rangers of making sure when they make a trade, excluding his first week with the Buchnevich and Goodrow signings slash trade. Besides that. And Nemeth. And Nemeth. And Yeah. Excluding that first week, which is will chalk up to rookie mistakes, everything else, they've just, they're, and maybe, maybe, just maybe you could say the, uh, the cop trade ended up not being exactly worth it, but he's been pretty smart with this guy with his trades. He he traded one first round draft pick and uh, and uh Hunter Skinner and what was the next other piece for Tarasenko and Nikola with money retained? Se- uh, Sammy Blay and Sammy Blay, who everybody all the Rangers fans know about the Sammy Blay. So he's just made he's made smart trade after smart trade, and if we go back. He, for Toronto was just for a fourth. So, and Stephen, you said this, and I have to give you credit for saying this. This year, they are looking for the new Vitrano, not Frank Vitrano, the new Vitrano. Really cheap, but can really slide in and be a key helper and contributor to this team going down the stretch. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same way Tampa Bay uh, went after Brandon Hagel as the new Blake Coleman. After Blake Coleman signed for what five point, what five point six million or in Calgary a year, they went after Brandon Hagel. Contract. Yeah, they gave up I think two first round picks for a guy that was under contract for another year at like one point five million, a twenty goal scorer. That's a type of trade you should be making, and that's a type of trade where you can, where you can uh, uh, justify giving up your first round pick for. And and absolutely, and, 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 and Hagel being a part of your future is yeah. Hagel's still there. Hagel's a part of their future. They're developing him. They're working with him. They've gone yeah. through multiple playoff runs with him on the team. That's more in line to what I think the Rangers are looking to do with this deadline, especially with the health of Hedo long term not being a certain, not being a certainty. That's still up in the air. Um, that's why I, I think, I, and I, we we know from the past, no, there were there were there any rumors about cop. Were there any rumors about Vitrano when those trades were made? 
like nothing. Nobody was talking about those guys. I I expect the exact same thing to happen this year. Um, I, I was expecting it to happen a little sooner, but we've seen that the, some of these prices for these guys this season have been ridiculous, have been way over, way overpriced. So I'm expecting smart moves, bottom six guys that could fill out the roster. There's nobody in the league that can make Meek and Kreider a dominant line five of hold five. So just fill it out. Come as deep as they can possibly do and make sure the defense and the goaltending is what carries them through. Yeah, and 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 that's that's exactly what what Drury should be looking at. Yeah, and and like you said, it's it's probably going to be a guy that we haven't talked about yet. Um, I don't remember any conversations among among Ranger fans about Justin Braun two years ago, or Tyler Mott two years ago. Of course, last year when they got Tyler Mott back for a second stint, everybody wanted him back because we saw how effective he was as a fourth liner. Um, but there are there are so many names out there. Um, I think we've heard so many, like about 15, 20 names that have already been discussed um, by Ranger fans as potential targets. You know, you have Fatrano and Henrique and and Hartman and uh, Tommy Novak has been mentioned. Um, they, uh, so many of them. And, and we'll, we'll see who's, who, who's, who, it, who it is going to be in the end. Uh, we're still a week or so, like two weeks away from uh, from the deadline. All right, so with all this trade talk, and again, we're 11 days from the deadline, anything can happen. The only other thing I'll add is that Drury, who in other years has acted early, I think now, and watch will be proven wrong by the time we report again, but I think the Rangers are not going to make a trade until after the Florida game on on the 4th, their last game before the deadline, because I think they're going to take every shift and every game they have left to help determine what they need, Matt Rempe, all that other stuff. So I don't think we're going to have a trade until after the Florida game. We'll see how it goes. Speaking of of trades and just roster construction generally, Alexi Lafreniere. So it's I, I kind of want to dig into this because Lafreniere is a very interesting case study this year. On the one hand, I think every Ranger fan would say Alexi Lafreniere, he's much better this year than he's ever been. He's playing more minutes, still not a ton of power play time, but he's playing over 17 minutes a game. It's more than two minutes a game on average than he's ever played before. He's played an overwhelming majority of the season with Artemi Panarin. Could you have a better line mate at the top of his game? And though Lafreniere has had a better season, the bottom line is through 59 games and you got to give Loft credit for being available. He played 81 of 82 last year. He's played 59 of 59 this year. He has 17 goals, 19 assists for 36 points. He is on a pace for exactly 50 points, something along the lines of 22, 23 goals, 27, 28 assists. To me, that now becomes mildly disappointing unless he picks it up over this last, you know, 25 to 30% of the season, because you should have more than that playing with guys like Lafreniere and Trocek, even without Panarin and Trocek, Panarin and Trocek, even without a, a bunch of power play time. Yep. Well, yeah. And, and um, it's, it's, it's a good point actually to make. And, and I looked it up before we started recording uh, Lafreniere's five on five production this season is actually lower than Ryan Strom's five on five production in his final season. And Panarin this year is better than Panarin two years ago. So there's definitely uh, some some uh, some disappointment there in terms of his production. 
his expected goals are 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 higher than his actual goals. He he just needs to learn how to convert on on these chances. And the talent is there. We know this. A first overall pick, the talent is there. Um, and yeah, I know he's not he doesn't get power play time, but playing with playing with Panarin, who is fifth in the league in in five on five points, there there needs to be more from from him to uh, to capitalize on that. Well, if this is where it's really important, I believe, to be able to separate the production and the analytics and look at them both, and that will allow you to tell to tell the full story. I think every Rangers fan that's watched any of these games has noticed that last finishing has been just bad. It's just been bad. There really isn't a way around it. it we've, we've talked about it in the spaces. I'm sure a lot of people have heard it already, but there's a difference between unlucky and not a good finisher. And we're to the point where it's no longer unlucky with Laf. He's just not a good finisher. And the good news is that's something you can work on. But what's more important, and I believe is what we should really be focusing on, is the expected goals and the production five on five has spiked. It's spiked all across the board. Even though his overall points aren't up, his expected goals, he's he's worst in the league. Last time I checked, it was 10 goals scored below expected. If he had scored 10, if he had scored as expected, he'd have 10 more goals. He'd have 45 points. No one would be saying a word right now. They'd be happy he has 45 points. So I think we really do need to split between analytics and actual production and realize that the production hasn't been there as much as we might have wanted. But man, if he works on his uh, finishing, if he's gotten a little luckier with some of his other teammates finishing, he could easily have 45, 50 points right now. I do think... Some of that has been lucky, but he's gotten the chances, and that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, and and uh, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well when we had a, a, a private conversation. There's only so much you can work on during the season, right? A lot of these improvements happen during the offseason when you focus on a specific skill set that you improve. Once the season starts, it's hard enough to keep up with everything that you don't really have the time to to, uh, to 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 dedicate to to improving a specific skill set between like the the 82 games and all the traveling and the practice and the video sessions and the, the talks with the head coach and and the assistants and the GM the season itself takes so much time out of these players days that you cannot really focus on that so that's hopefully something he can work on in the off season uh that said you know he is what 22 and Oh, year over year, there is at least improvement, so that's a positive. And even though he's not reaching the potential that we would have hoped for from a first overall pick, there's also uh, there's also this this thing about development that is not linear. You know, it that's not the same for every player. Uh, Matt Zuccarello became a point per game player. He didn't become an NHL regular until he was 26. Um, and the one example that I always love to bring up. Um, Temu Salani is the only player in the Hockey Hall of Fame who never who never outproduced his rookie year in the NHL. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, Temu Salani had a Hall of Fame career and his rookie season is his best season. That's right. that's unbelievable. Right. One of the reasons why I want to bring up Lafreniere is is because. And Stephen, you bring up some great exceptions, especially Zuccarello. There's there's even examples like the Sedin twins started there. They were a slow burn, right? Yep. 
But the majority of players, when they hit that magic age of 23, 24, so Laf, a week into next season, will turn 23. A week into 25, 26, will turn 24. That's when he's almost assuredly going to be what he's going to be. So the question for him now that he's clearly taken the step up, his skating's better, his awareness is better, is better, where to go on the ice seems to be better. He just seems all around more comfortable. So the question, which I think we're all sort of saying in different ways, is the days of Loft being a bust are over. The days of what will Loft ultimately be is now the question that we're going to learn over, I think, the next two years. Will he be a 30-goal scorer? Will he be a 30-goal, 45-assist guy? Well, I think in we, we know from reports during broadcasts that his big focus this offseason was getting leaner and getting faster. And he's accomplished that. He lost seven pounds, and he's much, much faster. If he goes into this offseason, this coming up offseason, and says, okay, my finishing clearly isn't up to par, my shooting needs to get better, it's going to get better. He's going to work on it. He's clearly shown that he can improve his skating, and there's no reason he can't do the same with his with his finishing and scoring. And then what does that mean? That means even a year better and a year older and a year stronger – if he's underproducing right now and he could easily have by ending the season, if everything went well, easily have 60 points this year. Well, if he takes another step, he could easily have 70 points next year. Easily. Jack, you realize for him to get 60 points this year, he'd have to get more than a point a game the rest of the way. No, I'm saying he, he could easily, if everything had gone right, if he had, was scoring yes. up to standard, yes. he would have he could have easily had 60 points this year. He can easily still get to, he could, if he has a hot finish to the year, he could, he could have 50 points. He can no, no, no question. 50, 50 points is what he's on pace for. The question is how much better can he get to 25 goals? It was really more about the seasons to come than, than this year. This year kind of is what it is. Maybe he has a hot streak. Maybe he doesn't. If he doesn't, he's going to finish with 45 points and 20 goals. And that's that's then that's going to look even worse. But yeah, and, and, and so, so the, the elephant in the room we have to discuss as well here, right? That Lafreniere is not getting chances on the first power play unit. The last the last week or so, he's he's gotten a couple of shifts, but that was either because Trocek was in a penalty box when we were on the power play, or we pulled the goalie against the Islanders. Um, well, Steve, so he, I think you could say he's the next guy now. Yeah, he he's the next guy up. If if someone from that power play unit, the goalie, they pull the goalie. Yeah. It's the power play five plus Loth. Yeah, yeah. So he's the sixth. He's a sixth skater that comes on. When when one of the power play guy forwards is is out either with an injury or suspension or is in a penalty box, he's the next guy up. But if he would get significant power play time, if it, that that would probably add thirteen to seventeen more points to his season totals, I think that's something we also need to take into consideration because we talk about it with Zibanejad all the time, right? Five on five production. Uh, but with Lafreniere, it sometimes gets gets lost in the shuffle that that most of like 95% of his production comes five on five and he outproduces Jack Hughes five on five. It's just that he's not getting the power play time. And over the last week and a half, especially the game against the Islanders at MetLife stadium, you know, you pull the goalie twice um, and you score both times. Um, that actually puts the Rangers uh, top of the league in goal scored with the goalie pulled, by the way, with nine, uh, no other team has scored more goals with their goalie on the bench. Um, and and he's he's getting some opportunities, but if he gets serious power play time, those numbers instead of fifty, he will hit sixty five. 
and he might even hit 70. Um, unfortunately, that power play unit is, is pretty much set in stone. You know, you have Kreider, the net front presence. You have uh, Trocek in the bumper and then Zibanejan and Panarin on the sides and Fox being the, being the power play quarterback. Unless one of those guys moves, he, Lafreniere is not getting a significant power play time. So that's something to be to be taken into consideration as well. And that's the transition I was looking for to open up the conversation to not only the power play at total, but also Mika. Because, man, they have been, as we said earlier, 22nd on the power play since Christmas in the league at a 17%. Which is, which, which is amazing. We just just pause after talk. That for a power play to have that many talented offensive players since Christmas to be 22nd out of 32 teams is is I have to think is just hopefully a, a small sample size aberration and they get back on because it's crazy. But but is that a small sample size? Is since Christmas a small sample size? Is two six seven weeks? Almost two months. Is that a small sample size? It's not. And their power play even though their team is playing better on this 10-game stretch, their, ten, their power play still hasn't been good. Their best game on the power play was the miraculous game at the stadium series. But outside of that, it's been it's been 0 for 4s, 0 for 5s, 1 for 4. That is not a dominant power play. And yeah. one of their primary scores, the two ways they score in the power play all year, and there's pretty much no exception, is Panarin finding finding uh, shots through screens through with multiple bodies in front and just beating the goalie and cried around the factions. That's all. That's all it's been all year. Mika has not been a threat for the majority of the year. Trocek doesn't really any, get any opportunities, and Fox doesn't really shoot the puck. So it's even as dynamic as their passing can be, it really is. It's either Chris Crowder deflects the puck or Mika's or, or, or Panarin's shooting the puck. Last year, it was Chris Crowder in deflections and Mika with the one-timer. Now it's the complete opposite. Mika doesn't shoot, and Panarin's taking all the shots. If they could just figure out how Mika to have Mika and Kreider, I mean, excuse me, Mika and Panarin both as shooting threats at the same time, man, that would be nice. But we're not at, we're, that's not the case right now. And they, I don't know what, how much longer is a leash when you have a kid like Loth, who's clearly ready to explode, who could clearly use some more time on the power play. And you have someone like Mika who's just been trending downward all year. Yeah. And if you look at the power play, um, at the start of the season, of course, it was great. We were the best either the first or second ranked power play in the league for a long time, to the point where it was even mentioned at the end of January that we were ranked second because we had such a hot start on the power play. But the problem, in my opinion, with this power play is that after about six to eight weeks, teams figure out how to defend against it. And it's the same thing with a new coach. You know, when a new coach comes in, that new coach has a new philosophy and the players, you know, they buy in and you win you win a bunch of games where you where you kind of surprise your opponents. But then when those opponents figure out a way how to how to counter that, that's when it gets interesting because that's when you have to re redefine how you play, either as a team or or as a power play unit. And I don't think the Rangers have really done that. They're very static on the power play. And that game against the Flyers was the perfect example of how to how to dismantle this power play unit. The Flyers were so aggressive that, that the Rangers couldn't even set up. There was a, a double minor four-minute power play that turned into three minutes because we committed a penalty. And But on the three minutes with the man advantage... Mika Zibanejad had four giveaways. He turned the puck over four times. And it's 
the big reason behind it is because the Flyers were so aggressive. And right. and the Rangers had in fairness though, Stephen, the Flyers are good against everybody. That's a sensation yeah. penalty kill. Oh no, it is. It is. But it, it also highlights that the Rangers don't really know what to do when they come up against a unit that has their number. And and Absolutely. it worked against the Islanders, but do you know why it worked against the Islanders? Because their their penalty kill is terrible. It's the you know the saying when a um uh, when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Absolutely. The Rangers power play a week ago against the Islanders penalty kill was the exact opposite. It was it was a, a, a stoppable um um sorry. <laughs> it was object meeting an easily uh pushed away force. Yeah, it was it, it was a stoppable force against a movable object and the Rangers power play beat out the the terrible Islanders penalty kill. Luckily, uh, and, that Alice penalty kill is awful. Yeah, and, and I've seen a lot of this on Twitter uh, recently, where people are mad at supposedly spoiled Rangers fans for wanting more out of their player, out of their top players, especially against better teams. But it's like, what is the comparison? And Steve Alcat talks about this on the broadcast all the time. The only lens that it's worth looking at this Rangers team is is for can they win a Stanley Cup? That's it. That's the entire point. There's nothing else worth looking at at this point. The goal I, is a – We know they're a good team. We say that on the podcast too. We know they're a good team. It's not about whether they're a good team. This is not a podcast about whether the Rangers are good or not. This is a podcast about whether we think they have the roster construction to win the Stanley Cup. Last point about Mika is his five-on-five play. I mean, as much as the power play bothers us, they've had a good power play in the past. They may in, in, in the future. We'll have to see. But Mika five-on-five – his play and his inability and refusal to go in the middle of the ice and make anything happen has really reached a crucial point. And I don't know what they're going to be able to do about it for the rest of the season, quite frankly. Your best players have to be your best players the majority of the time. And uh, Stephen has a great graphic talking about what percentage of, po- of offense. Uh, Stephen, I'll let you. I'll let you describe it better. Yeah, so um, I actually looked up the percentages of the scoring in the postseason over the last 10, 10 years. So since 2013-14, um, 65.7% of all goals scored in the postseason come five on five. 21.02% come on the five on four power play. Um, after that, it's the, it's the five on six, so empty net goals with 5.3%. And then it's the four on five, the shorthanded goals with 2.3. Everything else, every other possible matchup, six on five, four on four, five on three, six on four, three on three, all those combined uh, make up make up like 6% combined of the goals scored in the postseason. The reason we harp on five on five production is because in the postseason, the large majority of goals are being scored five on five. Like the three on three, do you want to know? 0.04%. This is why I don't get excited about overtime goals because it's a gimmick. It doesn't happen in the playoffs. Uh, four on four, 0.27%. Yeah. And Mika just has to be way more dynamic. If you guys saw the end of the Toronto Colorado game on Saturday night, 
Toronto clears the puck. Game's in Colorado. Colorado's down by a goal. Toronto clears the puck with about 13 seconds left in the game, and you think it's over. And Nathan McKinnon goes back, scoops up the puck, and like a bat out of hell, he crosses that blue line so fast, and the shot just goes wide before the buzzer. It would have counted. And when you're watching it, it was like, he just took the puck and said, I'm going to tie the game. And listen, Mika's never going to be Nathan McKinnon. It's an unfair comparison. But can you show me a little bit of I'm going to make something happen myself, Mika, and not always go over the blue line. And the first thing you're looking to do is move it to the outside, move it to the outside. It just, it drives me crazy. To Steven's point, goals, ugly, sloppy, dirty goals get scored in the playoffs, five on five, bodies to the net. Going back to the beginning of the podcast, this is where your your Rempies and your uh, and certainly your um, Edstrom are going to be important because those guys show they can do that. At least Rempe, you got to give him credit. He knows where to go in the offensive zone. Get in front of the net and be hard on the forecheck, and that's beautiful. So, and quickly circling back, uh, circling back to my original point, your best players have to be your best players the majority of the time to win, and the majority of the time, as said, is five on five. And who has been so – who's their best player and has been their best player the majority of the time, five on five? Artemi Panarin. He's done it all year. Artemi Panarin has been a difference maker, not only on the penalty kill – not excuse me, on the power play, but also five on five. And that's why his season has been so awesome. That's why all the Rangers fans are harping on him because he's been the best player when it's mattered most, five on five. That line has been their saving grace – all year without that line i have no idea where this team would be and who's probably their second best forward it's mika zibanejad and he has just not been there all year five on five the majority of the time when it matters most and it's really hard to win a cup when your second best player or your second best forward isn't good the majority of the time 65 percent of the time he just isn't a top player and you need that your top players have to be your best players to win a Stanley Cup, and they need more out of Mika. And speaking of, of looking to win a cup, as we as we wrap up today's podcast, so now that we're nearing the three-quarter pole in the season, uh, focus is going to come in on where the Rangers finish and how important is it for them? I guess at this point, I'll just start by saying, if they don't win the division, it will be flat-out disappointing now because they have a big enough lead over Carolina. But the, so they should have home ice advantage in their division, which I think is crucial. The next piece to the puzzle is how important is it to be number one in the conference and how important is it to win the president's trophy? Because there's a five team battle now for the president's trophy. As far as points go, the leader is Vancouver with 82, the Rangers in Boston with 81, Florida has 80 and Winnipeg is 77. But if you look at winning percentage, which is maybe the most important, it's actually Florida that leads Winnipeg because they've only played 56 games is second. The Rangers are tied with Boston for third and then fifth is Vancouver. So any either any of those five teams, and I think they're the only five teams realistically at this point that can win the president's trophy. How important do we think the home ice through the conference or right through to the Stanley Cup final is important? Yeah, um, I think, look, and I know there's some talk about the, the President's Trophy curse because uh, no team winning the President's Trophy has won a cup since the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks, which was the shortened season because of the lock, the partial lockout. Um, 
it always reminds me of the whole correlation does not equal causation. Uh, just because those teams didn't win a cup as the President's Trophy winners doesn't mean that they didn't win a cup because they won the President's Trophy. It still gives you the best chance to win. You get home ice advantage however far you go in the postseason. But if you look at hockey as a game, and this we're moving away from it a little bit, but if you look at hockey as a sport, uh, the team that wins, because the margins are so small, the margins are so tiny, the team that ends up winning the cup is usually the team that stays healthy. If the Rangers in 2015 do not lose Zuccarello when it gets hit in, hit in the head with a puck, they win the cup. I'm 100% convinced of that. Um, so when you look at like the top six, seven, eight teams that make it to the playoffs, the margins are, are the margins are so small that that the bounce of a puck can make can 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 decide a series. Um, so winning the President's Trophy, yeah, I'll take the President's Trophy any day because there's no negative to it. Uh, I think it's just superstition. And uh, yeah, if, if the Rangers end up finishing second in the league behind a team in the West, that's fine too. You get home eyes advantage uh, uh, all the way through the conference finally if you get that far. Um, the Rangers is just having a really good season. And and to, to add to that, they have quite the month of March, which I would like to get into real quick. They play, depending on whether St. Louis is in or out of the playoffs, they play nine or ten playoff teams out of their 14 games in the month of March. And some of those teams, they're playing the the top of the top. They're playing Carolina. They're playing Colorado. Uh, they're playing, uh, well, obviously, Tampa's always a tough matchup. They play Florida. They play Toronto. They play Winnipeg. They play Boston. They like They are playing the best teams in the league the month of March. They have very few days off during that whole stretch. So this is really what we'll see, especially since it's post deadline, the majority of it. We'll see what this team has. If they, yeah. And and it's in a good spot because it comes after the deadline and it comes after this break. Again, the Rangers only have three games between now and March 9th. Uh, We'll be back again after the Columbus game. We'll see what Matt Rempe has in store assuming he does play against uh, Columbus at home. And before I get final comments from you guys, one thing I'll just throw out. So the Rangers had an attempt to win a um, franchise record 11th game in a row. Uh, It was the third time they had won 10 in a row. And for the third time, they lost that 11th game. The only two other times they won 10 games in a row was 1940 when they won the cup and 1973 when they really could have won the cup. So what will 2024 bring to a team that's won 10 games in a row? Jack, Steven, any final comments? I think uh, Rangers fans need to be uh, prepared for an eventful and fun March. I don't remember, uh, in recent memory, I don't remember a month like this where it was so loaded with absolute top teams. Um, I've been looking at this month, this month of March since when the schedule dropped. I was like, wow, March is going to be a fun and interesting month. Uh, it'll be right after they get their players on the uh, from the deadline. We'll really get to see what this team is made out of. Um, I'm just really excited. I hope they do well, but you know, if they do end up going out of 14 games, if they end up going eight and six, I really wouldn't be too surprised. Um, they're playing some really, really good teams. So I think uh I think it'll just be a very interesting month. Yeah, um, I think the Rangers are uh, are a little bit unlucky because uh despite the 10 game win streak. They have only extended the lead on the Carolina Hurricanes by, I think, one point or maybe two. 
the Carolina Hurricanes have matched the Rangers pretty much every every step of the way in in that in that ten game win streak. Um, but yeah, the Rangers. Uh, this is this is when it really gets fun, and uh, you know they 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 are moving on from the players that weren't gonna make an impact in the playoffs. You know, Benino got his contract terminated. Pitlick is down in Hartford. They're calling up guys like Astro and Rempe, who we talked about in detail. Um, they're going to make some some moves at the deadline. This is the time of year where it gets really exciting. Exactly. Rangers, just to, to, to put a point to that, seven game, seven points ahead of Carolina. Carolina does have one game in hand. And, yet, and yes, we're now, the, the appetizers have been cleared. The main course is about to be served. The early part of the season and the dog days of the hockey season are, are, are over. Again, just 11 days to the trade deadline. We're at the point now where any day anything can happen. Then that big march we talked about with the team that the Rangers will be taking into the playoffs, which is the most important. And then obviously the playoffs after that. So thanks again, everybody, for listening to another edition of Under Review. We'll be back after the Columbus game to see things where to see where things stand with the team and with the trade deadline. So for Jack Filippi and Statboy Steven, I'm Jeff Filippi. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.